Good morning, New Hope Community Church. It's great to see you, and I'm glad that you've joined us today online. If you've got your outline, I just encourage you to pick that up and follow along with us. You'll find it just below in the YouTube channel. Today, I want to talk to you about why Christians have a stunning hope. So when Jesus Christ was crucified 333 AD, the original group of just 11 had grown to one in three people on the planet. The church today is bigger than Africa, is bigger than China and Europe and the USA put together. That means the church today is 2.4 billion people. Nothing is bigger on the planet Earth than the church of Jesus Christ. Now, how in the world did that happen? And why did Christianity spread so quickly, so far and so fast? Well, in a word, the answer to that is one word, the resurrection. That changed everything. When God said, I'm going to come to earth for the sins of mankind, and I'm going to die for the sins of mankind, then I'm going to prove that I'm God by coming back to life three days later. Now, every other event in history, including your birthday, is dated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection turned the first followers of Jesus from being unbelievably dis, uh, well, dis, well, dispersed and discouraged. They were depressed and full of despair. Something turned them from being in that mode of thinking into being courageous and contagious people filled with hope. So those early Christians were so changed by what they saw, they spread the message of hope everywhere. Because what gave them the courage is when Jesus came back to life, it changed everything. It changed their futures. It changed their expectation. It changed their perspective and it changed their lives. Today, I want to talk about the reasons why followers of Jesus Christ are the most hopeful people on the planet. And if you have your outline, I'd like to draw your attention to number one. The first reason why we are the most hopeful people on the planet is that we've been completely forgiven. Jesus said, I'm going to die on the cross, I'm going to pay for all of your sins, then I'm going to come back to life three days later to prove to you I am who I said I am. Now those two go together. Ephesians 1.17 here on your outline says, In Christ we are set free by the blood of his death, so we have forgiveness of sins because of the richness or God's rich grace. Now, every one of us are imperfect, so we all carry a degree of regret and certainly guilt. But Christ came to set us free, literally he ransomed us from our slavery to sin, and he ransomed us and set us free from our guilt and the deserved punishment for sin. Isaiah 53 verse 6 on your outline says, all are, we've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt of our sins for us all. From prison and trial, they led him away to his death. But who among the people realized that he was dying for their sins and suffering their punishment? He had done no wrong and he never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal. Then he was put in a rich man's grave. But it was God's plan, circle that, that he should suffer. Now notice the change in tense coming up. 
Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have a multitude of children. In other words, there will be people who will follow him. Now, that was written 700 years BC by Isaiah the prophet. And it's telling us that what's going to happen to the Savior, the Son of God who comes to earth, it was a part of God's plan. This is no heinous accident or dastardly plot. It was part of God's plan. Notice it says there, it was the sins of all that put Jesus on the cross. Now, the guilt and the sins of us all. That's exactly what it says. Romans 4.25 says, Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. So what that's saying is we're made right with God. We're being completely forgiven, which is the point, what Easter's all about. And that gives me hope that I am not going to face any judgment, and neither are you, if you ask Jesus to forgive your sin. I have hope because I've been completely forgiven. Now, the second reason Jesus gives me hope is we are no longer afraid to die. We are no longer afraid to die. Friends, the fear of death is a universal fear, and everybody has it. Jesus Christ, because he was resurrected from the dead, gives us hope. If Jesus hadn't been resurrected from the dead, you might as well say, I hope there's life after death, but you'd have nothing to prove it. But Jesus came back and said, I have conquered death. Now there is greater life after death. And that's good news. That gives us hope. Here's what Jesus said here in John 11, 25. He says, Jesus promised, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, like everyone else, will live again. Now that there is a reason for hope. If Jesus hadn't been resurrected on Easter Sunday, we'd all be helpless and hopeless. That's it. It's over. That's it. Finale. Now after Jesus died, you may recall a story. Joseph of Arimathea volunteered his tomb to place Jesus' body. And they rolled a huge stone in front. And Pilate had it sealed with his own seal and posted guards. Now the disciples, who were followers of Jesus, they are scared to death. Scared witless. They vanished, they are scared, and they are hiding. Why would that be? Well, could I suggest to you that none of them believed the resurrection would happen? The evidence for that is their disillusionment and their vanishing, disappearing act. They were depressed. They were afraid. And why were they afraid? Because they were next to be executed, probably as followers of Jesus. They were hiding. Now, three days later, on Easter Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. Clearly, there's something's up. The stone's been rolled away. The seal's been broken. But there's no body. But there are grave clothes that Jesus had been wrapped in. They were sitting there, but they were folded. And now, by the way, some people wonder, well, maybe they stole the body. Well, can I just give you a quick hint here? If you ever consider stealing a body, leave the clothes on it. It's much easier than carrying something that's slippery around the place. So anyway, back to the point. She hears a voice. 
and turns around and Jesus is standing there, the risen Christ. He says to her, Mary. Now she had heard that voice many times before. And she ran, and, and he says to her, Mary, go tell my brothers that I'm alive. So Mary hops up and exits to the disciples, the house where they're living, hiding in fear. And she bangs on the door and yells, Jesus is alive. Now, as you well know, if you've read the story, what are these great men of faith about to do? They doubt her. None of them believed her. Now, the point is, not even the disciples, of all people, they should have known that, believed that he'd come back to life. Until, that is, they'd seen him with their own eyes. Danning Thomas is famous for his saying, I've got to see him. I've got to see the holes here and in the side, but I've got to see him. Now, one of the things that's difficult to explain without the resurrection is the sudden change in the disciples. At the crucifixion, remember, they're all scared to death and they scarper. Only John and the women were there. Three days later, they're ready to take on the Roman Empire and Nero. Why the change? They'd seen Jesus. That's the change. They were eyewitnesses. Not just them, but a whole lot of other people who now had developed a courageous confidence and a contagious hope because they had seen. They were eyewitnesses. Here's what Peter wrote. It's not in your outline, but it says, When we told you about the powerful coming of the Lord Jesus, we were not telling made-up stories that someone invented. Rather, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, not only these original 11, but Jesus walked around Jerusalem for 40 days where you had been crucified. That's why tens of thousands of people became believers in a very short time because there were so many eyewitnesses. Have you seen them? Acts 1.3 For 40 days after his death, Jesus appeared to people many times in many ways that proved beyond doubt that he was alive. They saw him and he talked with them about the kingdom of God. Now, Paul talks about a few of the eyewitnesses here, and you'll pick this up in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 through 8. He says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, again, referring to prophecy, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. In other words, go check it out with those guys, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appears to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Now, that isn't even a complete list. For 40 days, he has multiple meetings with a lot of people, that's called, in any stretch of the word, definitive evidence. Having 600 plus eyewitnesses would stand up in any court anywhere in the world. That is why the church exploded. That's the explanation. Within a few years, there were 30,000 members of the church just 
in Jerusalem alone, and it quickly grew to half a million, and then eventually exploded all over the Roman Empire. So, what had been persecuted within, uh, for 300 years is, now becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. Question, how do you explain that? Why? Can I suggest to you the reason why? The why with the most explanatory power is the resurrection. There were so many eyewitnesses. You can't deny that. The third reason we have great hope is now we have God's Spirit living within inside of us. God's Spirit inside of us. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he says this, Guys, I'm going to be leaving for heaven, but I'm going to send my spirit to live inside you. And then he tells them, hold on, wait for my spirit. He's the one that's going to give you power. So he says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says this, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. And you'll tell people everywhere about me, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Then, 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus ascends back into heaven. And 10 days later, after this, which is day 50, God sends his Holy Spirit to live in every believer. Now, this is the reason why Christianity spread so fast after the resurrection. What's happened is they've had a change. They've gone from being fearful to fearless, from being hopeless to hopeful, and from being cowards to being courageous. They've seen Jesus alive, and that is a concrete reference point that it doesn't matter what you do, you ain't going to persuade them any other way. They're empowered by God's Spirit. And that's why they were ready to take on the Roman Empire, which clearly was successful. Friend, God never intended you to go through your life just on your own power. He wants to put his love and his power and his counsel and his spirit inside of you. And that gives you additional power so that you don't have to do things on your own. I like to do a, a lot of repairs and maintenance around the place. And I have a skill saw. And a skill saw cannot fulfill its purpose unless it's plugged into power. A vacuum cleaner can't fulfill its purpose unless it's plugged into the power socket. And you, likewise, cannot fulfill your purpose unless you're plugged into God's power. Now, here's the amazing thing. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to you today. Look at this verse in Ephesians 1.19. I pray that you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. What is this power? It's the power of God's Spirit in your life. If God's Spirit can raise the, a, a dead body, Jesus can raise a dead career. He can raise a dead marriage. He can raise a dead dream in Him. He can do amazing things in, you, in your life if you hook into his power. It's a power to be free, for example, from your past. Things that repeatedly gnaw on you and weigh you down. The power to break those memories that have been holding you back. The power to change things that you think, well, I could never change. The power to over, overcome habits and hurts and hang-ups that hold you back 
and here's a really good one, the power to keep going when you feel like giving up. It was a resurrection power that gave them hope. It's the reason we have hope today. So the fourth reason we live with more hope than anyone else is this. On your outline, God will never stop loving us. He'll never stop loving us. In Jeremiah 31.3, the Bible says, God speaking, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Friends, God doesn't wait for you to love him before he starts loving you. So God says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to, uh, but to save the world through him. So notice, God not only wants you to know and feel his love because it transforms you, then God expects you to pass it on to other people. When God's love comes into your life, it changes the way you react to everybody else. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I've loved you. You should love each other and your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Years later, John re-emphasizes this when he's an older man. 1 John 3.10 says, This is how we know who the children of God are. Anyone who does not obey God's command and does not love others is not a child of God. This is the message we've heard from the beginning. We must love each other. Now that's the kind of thing that God changes in your life. God is such an incredible Powerful force that when he comes into your life, things will change. Even things like you start loving your enemies when God comes into your life. A great example of this will be Saul. Saul was the equivalent of an ISIS religious terrorist hunting to kill the early Christians. One day he's on the road to Damascus in Syria, which is still there of course, and he encounters the resurrected Jesus Christ. Paul Saul then becomes Paul, and he falls to his knees, and the first words out of his mouth were, My Lord and my God. And the man who had been a religious terrorist becomes, notice the change, an apostle of love. Now that is what you call change. You probably heard this. 1 Corinthians Corinthians 13 is some of the most beautiful poetry around love you've ever heard. It's read at weddings literally every single day around the world. The fifth reason followers of Jesus Christ have more hope than anyone else is this. We know the purposes we are created for. We know the purposes we are created for. In other words, we know the purpose of life. Most people don't have any idea the purpose of life. They think of success and possessions and all those things but friends you can have success without having significance significance comes from knowing and fulfilling your purpose in other words understanding why i am here what's the purpose of that why does even my life exist what does my life have any even meaning now when you don't know your purpose in life what will happen is you'll try to fill that with emptiness that emptiness with other stuff things like hobbies Things like travel, or pleasure, or success, or 
or possessions. But those things are never going to take away the place of knowing why you're alive. Actually, you're made for eternal life. Notice this next verse in Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me because his love endures forever. He's saying here the reason there's a purpose in life for your life is that you have a creator who loves you and he has a purpose. You are made by God and for God. And until we figure it out, life isn't going to make much sense. Jeremiah 29.11, a well-known verse, has a generic application here. It says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you a hope, and boy, he does that, and a future. And man, your brightest days are ahead of you. God's purpose for your life is a good plan. It has a hope and a purpose for an extremely bright future. Romans 8.28, even when we're going through stuff that's difficult to understand, he says this. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So when you're living out the purposes God created for, he says, I'm going to bring good out of it, even out of the bad stuff in your life. And that is great news. That gives us hope. Mark 8.35, next verse says, If you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. So what he's saying there is your plan is going to lead you to frustration. You can't go with your plan and God's plan at the same time. It's either or, narrow way or broad way. Now, after the resurrection, tens of thousands, then hundreds of thousands of people became followers of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And this had such a profound effect on the Roman Empire that they became unnerved. And therefore, for the first 300 years, it was illegal to be a Christian. If you chose to make a decision to follow Christ, you are likely going to be a candidate to be fed to the lions in the Colosseum, or crucified, or the other choice is being beheaded. So why did people become followers of Jesus with that threat over their heads. Can I suggest to you the answer is because of the hope based on the eyewitness evidence. Nothing else makes the slightest bit of sense. Did you know that all but one of the 12 disciples were murdered except for John? Stephen was stoned to death. James, the brother of John, was put to the sword in Acts 12 too. And Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was put in prison, in the Mamertine prison, which is still there in Rome today, and then he was executed. Now, I want you to think of Paul in that Mamertine prison as he writes his last words right before he goes to the execution. He says this in 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, this is the kind of attitude that Christians were fearless in the face of death. Again, why? Why would that be? How is that even explainable? Because they knew there was more to life than the just the here and now. Now, Paul says it like this again in Philippians 1.21. For me, living is for Christ and dying is even better. How is it possible to even have that type of attitude? Because he 
telling you there's more to life than here and now. And that leads me to the sixth and final reason we have the most hope of all. And number six is we have an eternal home waiting for us. An eternal home waiting for us. Now we know as followers of Jesus that death is not the end. It's just being relocated to better things. John, the last of the original disciples, was exiled on the island of Patmos, and he wrote the book of Revelation whilst there, and he includes a brief glimpse of heaven. Some of you wonder, what is heaven going to be like? Well, frankly, it's hard to describe, but I can say this. If you and I are taken by earth's beauty and sunsets and mountains and seascapes and beautiful aromas of flowers and trees and beaches... And remember, friends, even though this is a broken world, imagine what a perfect place is going to be like. Paul says of heaven, in 1 Corinthians 2.9, No eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, no mind has ever imagined the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him. My mum and my dad, my younger brother, Kimberly's mum and her brother are already there in heaven. That's why the resurrection gives us hope, and I'm not afraid to die. So six reasons that give Christians more hope than anybody else on the planet is number one, I am completely forgiven of everything that I've ever done wrong. So tonight I can go to bed with a clear conscience, knowing that the sins that I commit today or tomorrow have already been forgiven in God's foreknowledge and paid for in full by Jesus Christ. Number two, I'm not afraid to die. Number three is I have God's spirit living within me. That gives me huge hope. It gives me power to change those things that I could never make on my own. So I've got hope there. Number four, I know that God will never stop loving me. And that gives me great hope because God never changes. He doesn't have a good day one day and a bad day the next. Number five, I know for sure I'm living with meaningful purpose because his purposes never change. And number six, I know for certain I'm going to heaven. Now, do you know what my prayer is for you today? It's that if you were to die tonight, that you'd have that same assurance that Paul expressed in this verse. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened so that you may see and understand the hope to which God has called you. And here's where you start, if you want to know that. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? It means that simply, he's God and you're not. Lord means, Lord, you have the right to lead because you are my creator. He becomes the CEO of my life. It's almost like you've got a new sign. I'm under new management. He is God in my life, and I am not, and I recognize that. So today I want to wrap up by inviting you to pray a simple prayer with me. Now what really matters here is the attitude of your heart. It's if you mean it, that's what's important. So let's just take a look at this prayer now on the screen and get prepared to read this out aloud together. Just look at the screen and make this your prayer 
You, don't, you clearly don't have to close your eyes. Just check it out. Let's look at it. If this is you, read this a minute with all of your heart. Say, Dear God, today I accept all that Jesus did for me on the cross. Thank you for forgiving everything I've done wrong. Thank you that I don't have to fear death. Please put your spirit of love and power in me. And thank you that you'll never stop loving me. I want to live for the purpose that you created me. And I trust you to take me to heaven when I die. Now, if you sincerely meant that as you prayed that, this is a big deal. This is the moment of salvation for you. And congratulations to the people who meant this and prayed this for the very first time. Welcome to the family of God. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, please send us an email to info at newhope.net.nz and we'll get in touch and send you some resources to help you. God bless you on this wonderful day at Easter 2020.